0: For those who strive to overcome the many trials of the world, great promises await. For you and me, as we wade through the murky waters of daily life, let us find comfort in the Christ who already walked our path and knows our hearts. He is the great centerpiece of the merciful, loving, and deliberate plan to bring us all back home, giving hope and purpose to everything we know, everything we are, and everything we do. I invite you to join us in our study today and encourage each of us to request divine understanding, that the Spirit may teach us individually and specifically. Welcome to Come Follow Up.
1: Christ has shown that he knows me personally, I think, through my experiences and like the blessings that I have in my life. I have seen Christ help me overcome challenges through other people. my family is really supportive and amazing and i feel really blessed to have them and i feel like when i'm at my very lowest i reach out to the lord and he reaches out through other people christ has helped me overcome challenges in my life by helping me see a bigger perspective especially when i'm going through struggles in my life or having challenging times, either like mentally and emotionally, He's helped me take a moment to look back and see the bigger picture and see how many people love me and see how much He loves me. Because I know Christ is there and that He recognizes, knows, and loves me, and that He has only ever shown me the utmost kindness, it is easier for me to go forward every day showing that same kindness to others. In every decision I make regarding how will I talk to this person today, I choose kindness because Christ and Heavenly Father have always shown nothing but kindness to me.
0: Welcome, everybody. My name is Ben Lomu, and I am your host. Our Gospel scholar for today is Josh Matson. Josh is a scholar of the Bible and the Dead Sea Scrolls and a religious educator with seminaries and institutes of religion. He and his wife, Erin, are the parents of four children and live in Saratoga Springs, Utah. Josh, welcome. It's great to be here, Ben. Thank you. And our special guest today sitting next to Josh is Dallin Bayless. Dallin is a religious educator and institute choir director with seminaries and institutes of religion. He is also a professional actor, singer, recording artist, and director. Dallin and his wife, Rachel, live in Orm, Utah and have five children. Dallin, so happy to have you here today. It's
2: wonderful to be here with you both, thank you.
0: And we're also joined by our studio audience. Thank you as well for being here today. And to each of you at home, we are so happy to have you joining us for today's discussion. Please follow along and share your insights with us on any of our social media platforms. Today, we've selected two topics to discuss that relate to passages found in Revelation chapters 1-5. through These topics and discussions support and build upon the Come Follow Me resource, developed and published by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The two topics we're going to discuss are first, Jesus Christ knows me personally and will help me overcome my challenges. And second, I can be saved through the grace and atonement of Jesus Christ. After exploring these two topics with our panel and studio audience, we'll let our studio audience go and dive deeper into the scriptures with Josh and Dallin in footnotes. Okay, Josh, as we jump into the book of Revelation, what can you tell us about this first topic, Jesus Christ knows me personally and will help me overcome my challenges, as it relates to the book of Revelation.
3: Yeah, so the book of Revelation is written by John, the Peter, James, and John John, who is in exile on the Isle of Patmos. So he's been sent off into exile and he's writing those who are being similarly persecuted as he is. And so there's already that personal level of we're being collectively persecuted. So what's gonna help us overcome these challenges that we're facing, these challenges in our lives. And so the book of Revelation is a piece in, in overcoming that. And so the book of Revelation is misnamed uh, a little bit. When we think of Revelation, we think of a vision or mm-hmm. we think about some kind of uh, great statement. A better translation would be the apocalypse of John. Okay. And now I don't want anybody to her- worry about, you know, uh, hailstones or Visions anything. Of dark other- horses. <laughs> <laughs> That's not the apocalypse we're talking about. Instead, we're talking about the Greek context of the word apocalypse, which means to unveil or to uncover. Okay. And so the book of Revelation is actually an uncovering, a revealing of Jesus Christ, both in our lives, in the lives of these ancient saints, and in the future that's to come as we transition towards living with our Heavenly Father forever.
0: Dallin, what are some of your thoughts as we jump into studying the book of Revelation? I think Josh hit it
2: beautifully. This is a book about a revelation of Jesus Christ. We see Him from beginning to end. We learn so much about Him, about His role in the plan of salvation and what He will eventually accomplish for us uh, and through eternity. It's beautiful, it's powerful, and there's so much to understand about the Savior as we approach this amazing revelation.
0: So how do we differentiate between, or maybe even peel off some of those layers about what we know about Jesus and his life and his ministry to really coming to know him? Does John provide us a little bit of that guidance on how we can, on a personal level, come to know Christ through his writings?
3: Yeah, and one of the things that's beautiful about this text is it's one of the few places where we actually get a complete description of the Savior himself. So if we go to Revelation chapter one, starting in verse 13, this is what John says. So, and in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the son of man, that's a, that's a cool phrase because we read that in the book of Abraham, one like unto the son of man is, is being seen here, but this is a reference to Christ. But then we get a description clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet likened to fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. Now when I'm thinking about the Savior, I can picture what he looks like, and that helps me to know him a little bit better.
2: And along with that beautiful physical description, you get to know his characteristic, his traits. Uh, I love this in verse five of chapter one, it just says, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever, amen. That beautiful phrase, he loved us, he desires so greatly to bless us and to give us all that, uh, that His atonement can offer to us, uh, the, the pinnacle of that being His exaltation.
0: And I would love to hear from the audience. How does the knowledge that Christ knows you personally help you to overcome some of the challenges that you face? Marcy.
2: I feel like His knowledge of knowing me personally helps me keep my covenant better, because I made that baptismal covenant with Him to do my part. And I know that as long as I'm doing my part, I'm going to get to know Him better. And through that, I can become better each and every day. And that connection between us will grow stronger.
0: You know, I, I love the idea that through this personal relationship, we, we can overcome Uh, some of the challenges that we face and understanding and knowing that down i'd love to hear some of your thoughts on on what it really means to develop and strengthen that personal relationship with christ it's so important isn't it
2: my goodness there was a time when i went on uh, a broadway touring company for about two years and i was gone from my family Uh, they were home in uh, we were living in the new york city area at the time and uh And so that was rough Mm -hmm. and it was very rough spiritually as well, it was pretty uh, spiritually perilous, you know, and uh, a lot of really good people that you work with, but they have very different standards and morals than you do and sometimes you can't help but have that affect you Mm -hmm. and influence you. The one thing that helped me to stay on that covenant path and remember my savior was, getting myself out of bed every Sunday and going to church. And that was hard because you had a four show weekend, right? So you had, you've been performing all week and then you had two shows on Saturday and you have two on Sunday. And I didn't have a vehicle. So I was like picking up a taxi to go to who knows where in city US and, <laughs> and trying to find the nearest branch or ward. But I committed that I was gonna do that. And the sacrament has now taken on a whole new meaning for me. Partaking of that sacrament, I remembered not only what the Savior had done for me, but what I had committed to do for him. And when I partook of that sacrament, it was very sacred because it was a, to me, it was a very real recommitment to follow him and to do my best. And you know, we see this in Revelation where he's saying, You're doing good. Here's some things that you need to work on. I felt that. Um, as I partook the sacrament. I remember those things that I need to do better to stay close to him in these circumstances. And I will be forever grateful. And I've never, I don't look at the sacrament the same. Um, it, uh, I see how how vital it is to our spiritual survival.
0: It's a beautiful story. Thanks for for sharing that with us. So by studying the book of Revelation, we we can come to understand and develop that personal relationship. However, it can be difficult to interpret and understand what is happening. Uh, We had a question coming from one of our viewers asking about that, and I'd love to hear some of your thoughts on it.
1: Hi, my name is Alma Hansen, and I am from the city of Puebla in Mexico. And this week, my family and I, we are pondering, how can studying the symbolism in Revelations help us understand how Heavenly Father speaks to us?
0: So it's like we have this beautiful puzzle, right? And if I can just line everything up and I'm gonna open up this beautiful gift of revelation. So how do we, how, how can studying these symbols help us unlock some of these beautiful messages and understand how God speaks to us?
3: Well, I think a great place to start is that's why God gives us symbols. Uh, we can think of all of us in this room and, and watching, uh, if we throw out a, an image, let's say a mountain, Uh, what can a mountain mean to people? And there are many of us that are thinking something, maybe memories, maybe temples, Mm -hmm. maybe hiking, maybe uh, there's all these different paths that that one image of a mountain can take us down. And so that's one approach that John is trying to get us to go. If I give you a symbol I'm telling you to go to God and find an interpretation that is meaningful for you. Okay. And so how, uh, and I love Alma's question is, how does this help me understand how Heavenly Father speaks to us? It's, I can sit and ponder and ask questions about this symbol, and what does it mean to me?
0: And perhaps we we rely too much on someone else's interpretation, and we don't, use that as an opportunity to receive that revelation for ourselves. Are are there some of the teachings or symbols John is writing that can help us understand how aware God is of us and how much he does love us? Uh,
3: Look in Revelation chapter five, verse 10.
0: Uh, This is talking
3: again about the savior. And it says this and has made us unto our God, Kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. So think of that potential, especially in an ancient setting where the highest most powerful person on the earth was a king Mm -hmm. or a priest. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we could insert queen and priestess here as well. And so John is saying, that's what your potential is. Uh, If you want to see how much John means that, let's go back to Revelation chapter one, verse six, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his father. So twice in the first five chapters, John is saying your divine potential is to become a king or queen priest or priestess through Jesus Christ. And uh, I I get really excited about this because in the Dead Sea Scrolls, a a series of texts of Jews from about 250 BC to 100 AD, they're writing about this same concept. Hmm. In their community rule, they said, you need to live up to the standard of being a king or a queen or a priest or a priestess because ultimately that's what you are going to become. And so that symbolism of having that in your mind, what does it mean to become a king, a queen, a priest, a priestess? That's what John wants you to be thinking. And it has to do with your divine potential. And we know that that's not just symbolic, that that is God's plan for us.
2: I love, just going along with what you just shared, uh, Josh, uh, chapter three, verse 21, probably my favorite scripture, One of my favorite scriptures of all time. <laughs> Until
0: the next one comes along. Until over. the next one comes along.
2: <laughs> but no, this I can't read this verse without it just still affecting me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. Think of all that the Savior has done. And it was all to lift us up, to make us equal with him. Despite our failings, despite our weaknesses, despite all that we do wrong, he wants to lift us up and set us down with him in his throne. You know, not this. He wants to bring us there. And that is unfathomable to me, but it's true. And through the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ, through his great love for us and through the Father's great love for us, he wants us to sit with him, to enjoy all that he has, to become like he is. That is our divine potential. And I don't know how you can read that and not feel the great love of our Savior for us, of our Father for us. That is the plan. The plan to make us so much more than we already are. And so you better believe he's going to be there to help us overcome our trials, our challenges, to give us the experiences that we need to be able to grow and to develop a relationship with him and to ultimately bring us to this point where we can join with him and become joint heirs. With our Savior Jesus Christ,
3: and and what better thing to celebrate at Christmas time? Absolutely, right? exactly. Why do we celebrate at Christmas time? Because that, <laughs> because that babe born in Bethlehem. That's what he wants, and I love how that was perfect. Alan, so yeah. good.
0: And I, I, as you were speaking, you were kind of speaking from the plural. In my mind, I was thinking he wants that for Dallin Bayless. He wants that for Josh Mattson. He wants that for Ben Lomu, on an individual, personal level. Thank you both so much for sharing your thoughts and insights on this first topic. And for the audience, thank you as well for being here and sharing of your spirit as well with us. And for those of you at home, how has Christ shown you that he knows you personally? Share with us on Facebook and Instagram.
1: I think grace is just that mercy that Christ offers us through his atonement. And I need it every day because I am a human being and I mess up a lot. And grace is what helps hold me up, even despite those weaknesses and mistakes that I make.
2: Grace, according to the Bible Dictionary, is a source of divine help. Uh, It is a enabling power. It's the ability to be able to get through this life, as I like to look at it. And through His grace, through the grace of His atonement, we can receive the strength, the help, uh, and the comfort that we need to be able to endure the trials of life and be able to return back to live with Him again. Grace has been a blessing for me in my life because I know that it is
1: divinely given as a gift. And so through my daily actions and my the things that I do throughout the week, I am able to gain
2: strength from the Lord because I know that I'm not able to do
1: all the things that I can do without His help.
0: The second topic we're going to discuss today is I can be saved through the grace and atonement of Jesus Christ. Okay, Josh, we're going to let you start us off and uh, tell us what does the book of Revelation teach us about the plan of salvation? Well, one of the big things that we read in, in verse one, this is a
3: revealing of Jesus Christ. It's unveiling that the plan of salvation is Uh, completely dependent upon the atoning sacrifice of Jesus. And so everything that's happening in this text is trying to point us back to that central event. Okay. And then we're going to work our way out to the plan of salvation from premortal life through mortal life, and then to the spirit world, then to judgment, and then ultimately to inheriting a kingdom of glory. And that's what Revelation is trying to show, but it's always going to come back to the focal point, which is the atoning sacrifice of Jesus
0: Christ. Okay. And Dallin, how does uh, modern revelation help us understand the plan of salvation?
2: Well, the plan is revealed through prophets and that plan continues to gain new insight through our modern day prophets. And I, uh, I think it's so vital, especially right now, President Nelson is so adamant that we understand who we are and that we are covenant children of God. Uh, It's so central to be able to understand that we are children of God. In the pre-earth life, we were his children. We learned from him and uh, we chose to accept this plan to be able to come down to earth, to be able to experience mortality, gain a body, and be able to exercise our faith to follow Jesus Christ. And that as we do that, we, because we are children of God and through the atonement of Jesus Christ can become resurrected. And then we can, uh, then we're judged and then we can uh, receive a a kingdom uh, of glory uh, based on what we chose to do with, with what we knew. And understanding that, not only hinges on the fact that we have a savior who put that plan into motion, but we have to understand it for ourselves. I am a child of God. That's why this plan exists, is because God wants me as his child to become like him. And that's why he laid out this plan. And that's why the savior, um, thankfully, was so willing to be able to come down and atone for our sins so that we can have this experience, so that we can become like Him and like our Father in heaven.
0: I'd love to hear from the audience. How does your understanding of the plan of salvation help you know that God knows you and loves you? Summer.
1: For myself, I know that all my life, I, um, when I learned about the plan of salvation, I thought of how in the pre-mortal existence, He knew us and He knew me personally. And so I, I know when I was growing up, I always thought, He knows me, He knows what I'm going through. But then when I started studying more about the atonement and in particular the Garden of Gethsemane and got past the bled for our sins, but also put on our sorrows and everything that we go through on a personal basis in that garden, it really helps me now when I go through any challenge to know He felt this. I feel, as though for myself, if I'm going through something, I want to call my mom or my sister or a friend to kind of connect with them. But I know I can always get on my knees and talk to Christ because He literally went through what I'm going through right now, whether it's depression or a very hard time. He knows what I'm going through. So that there's a lot about the plan of salvation that helps me know that He knows me personally, but especially that moment of the atonement in the Garden of
0: Gethsemane. And, and Summer, how does the Holy Ghost help you Come to understand that knowledge and feel close to Christ.
1: Well, I know that when I am feeling down or negative or I, I feel the, the world on my shoulders and I and I say that prayer or just ask for peace, it's the Holy Spirit that I feel that connects me to my Savior that says, it's okay. It's okay. I've, I've been there. I know exactly what you're going through and I've been through it and you're gonna get through it too. Um, and, and honestly, I think that um, if more people felt that or understood what that felt like, we wouldn't have so many people that were struggling right now because mm-hmm. um, the world can kind of seem dark sometimes.
2: Thank you so much for that. I, I'm gonna get a little personal here, if that's all right. Um, my children uh, deal with mental illness, and I have a son who, especially deals with high anxiety and depression and uh, suicidal ideation. And uh, there was one day when he was having trouble at school and when he gets behind, his anxiety just kicks in and he doesn't even wanna go and he just can't get him to go. And me being who I am, I'm like, you gotta get up, you gotta go, right? And I kept trying to encourage him to get up and go. Finally he did and he left in a huff. And uh, two hours later, his mother and I get a text saying, Uh, I made a terrible mistake. I'm actually here at home again, and I didn't go to school. And I'm like, "What? we just saw you leave, what happened? So he and his his mother and I went down to to see him and uh, he was very emotional. And he came up and just gave his mother a big hug and just said how much he loved us. And then shared with us this experience that he had. Uh, He had went right past the school, went onto the the bike trail down to, the canyon, and there's a there's a bridge there, and he just sat on the the railing there, very dark place, and just thinking about ending his life and and other things. And he sat there for quite a while. There's a lot of people passing him by. There was this old woman who came and just looked at him and just said, "How are you? How you doing?" And he just said, "I'm fine." It's like no, how are you, really? And it was a miracle, but he started to open up and he never opens up. And, uh, and talking to this woman about how he was doing and how he was having challenges at school and challenges with mental illness. And this woman got him down, walked with him for a while, got him something to eat and then drove him home and said, now you go easy on yourself. And uh, he's... He said afterwards, he's like, you know, sometimes angels are actually angels, but more often they're just regular people with inspiration to do something. Um, now, I don't know what might've happened you know, to my son, but I am so grateful to this woman who, through the inspiration of God, I know, reached out to my son. He knew that God knew him through that experience and that he was aware of him and that he loved him. And as we go along in life, sometimes that's how I've come to know that he knows me and knows my place in the plan and what I'm going through in this crazy mortality, you know. Um, sometimes it's through other people, other people who, who have revelation and uh, promptings to do some good. And I think that's why it's so important that we try to help each other you know, and but, uh, but anyway, that, that's how one of the ways I know that he knows me because he knows my son and he knew what was going on in his life at that time and sent somebody to be able to touch his heart
0: and gave him what he needed. Dal, thank you so much for sharing that. You know, knowing that he could, who he could send because, because he knows what your, your son is going through because he's felt what he has felt. Josh, could you teach us a little bit, what does John want us to know and understand about the Savior and his role in situations like that so he can reach out, so he knows how to succor us in our times of need, so he knows how to reach us on that individual level? Yeah, and and John
3: sees all the way back to the beginning we see a scene that's, that's probably reminiscent of our pre-mortal life in, in Revelation chapter five. John writes this, and I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne, a book written within and on the backside sealed with seven seals. Uh, so he's sitting here and he's seeing this book and he's like, what's, what's going on? But verse two, to answer your question, and I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? So a strong angel, this is probably an angel that's probably pretty important, (laughs) uh, who has a lot of strength and goes, nobody can open this. (laughs) Nobody can make this plan work. Nobody can impact an individual. Uh, There's not anybody that can actually reach these people. And, And I love the answer in verses three and four. And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. So here we are in a pre-mortal council scene and people are saying, no, there's nobody can do this. Nobody can reach out to me when I need that. There's no Mm -hmm. individual who's able to do all of these things. And then in verses five and six, and one of the elders saith unto me, weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are seven spirits of God sent forth on the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb having any one of them a harp and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song saying, thou art worthy to take the book. Hmm. It almost makes, as I was listening to your story, Dallin, I couldn't help but think Christ is worthy to take my burden. Summer, as you were saying what you were saying in in, in the Garden of Gethsemane, that personal, Christ is worthy to do this. And John wants everyone to know that Jesus Christ is worthy to individually touch their lives. And something that man can't do, Christ can do.
2: If we could turn to Revelation chapter 3, in his address to the uh, saints at Sardis, in verse 3, we talked about before how he keeps saying, I know thy works, I know you, I know what's going on. And he let them know, look, you haven't been always perfect. And so verse 3, remember, therefore, how thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent. I love that hold fast, stay with me, receive those things that you've heard and let's continue our journey together up that hill towards perfection that I want to give you. I know that through Christ, we can make those changes. Through him, we can overcome our weaknesses. We can be forgiven of our sins. We can be supported in our trials and our troubles, and we will be able to return back to live with Him and sit upon His throne with Him.
0: Thank you both so much for, for being here with us today and for sharing of your, your thoughts and your insights and your experiences, and for the audience, you've been wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us today. And for those at home, we still have much to cover in footnotes, stay with us.
1: I have felt the Spirit communicating with me in my life through feelings of peace and feelings of comfort when I'm going through something hard and testifying of things that are true in my life. The Spirit communicates with me through feelings. Sometimes it's when I see something beautiful and I feel good, I will also receive that answer to the question in my mind or in my heart. Sometimes it comes through the words of a friend, which I always appreciate when it comes from a trusted source. I feel the Spirit all the time when I'm reading, when I'm with my children. But I also know that when I have a question and I need an answer, um, the Lord sends people to me, whether it's my mother, whether it's my family, whether it's a best friend, whether it's a stranger. Um, I, and that's how I know the Lord knows me personally as well. It's because when I need certain answers, um, I sometimes get still a small voice, but a lot of times it's through another person that says, I just want you to know the Lord is thinking about you.
0: Welcome to Come Follow Up Footnotes. We've dismissed our studio audience and are looking forward to building upon our previous discussions about Revelation 1 through 5 with Josh and Dallin. All right, so we're in this beautiful Christmas setting. During this Christmas season, there's a lot of talk around the holidays about symbolism, you know, Christmas symbolism that it's really fun to get into. Well, we have the same idea with the book of Revelation. There are so many different symbols, and I thought it'd be fun to jump back in and talk about in more detail some of the symbolic imagery from the book of Revelation. So I just want to hear what you guys have to teach me, and I'll sit back and take some notes. <laughs> well, I love it, and, and it's interesting because we
3: get it right from the beginning. So if we go to Revelation chapter 1, uh, we first get introduced in verse 12 to the first symbol. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me and the being turned and I saw seven golden candlesticks. The context helps us understand what that might be. So if we go back to verse 11, this is a statement from the Savior to John saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And what thou seest, write in a book and send it unto the seven churches, which are in Asia, unto Ephesus and unto Smyrna and unto Pergamos and unto Thyatira and unto Sardis and unto Philadelphia and unto Laodicea. If we look at the context, we just got introduced to seven churches, and now it's saying there's seven candlesticks. Mm. And so if we read it in context, it's very easy to say. These seven candlesticks represent these seven churches. Yeah. And, okay. and then it's really cool because the symbolism takes one more step in verse 13. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man. What better symbol is then to think of Jesus Christ surrounded by these candlesticks, which are representing the churches.
0: And these are seven Christian churches that he's writing to, okay. Yeah, all of
3: them in Asia Minor, which is modern day Turkey. Okay.
2: I also love the fact that he's using candlesticks Mm -hmm. to represent these churches. A candlestick needs to receive the light to be able to hold it up, to be able to be purposeful. In third Nephi chapter 18, of course, he reminds us that we are supposed to be that light that he holds up, but he takes it a step further in verse 24 of 3 Nephi 18. He says, therefore, hold up your light that it may shine unto the world. Behold, I am the light which ye shall hold up, that which ye have seen me do. That we are to be examples of Christ as members of his church. We are to shine his light in the lives of others. And so I love this beautiful image of a candlestick representing the church, representing mm-hmm. us as members, and that he is right in the center of us. He is with us, he is with his church. And he hopes that we, I, me, Dallin, as a covenant member of his church, that I will hold up his light to bring others to receive
0: that same light. And I like the idea that you are not the light, you are holding up his light, and which shines through you, of course, But ultimately, we're not trying to replace Christ as that light that we should all look to, but just recognize that we have that responsibility to, to hold up his light to others.
3: And we can continue as we go into the next chapter in verse 20 of chapter one. Uh, So here John writes the mystery of the seven stars, which thou sawest in my right hand and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven candlesticks, which thou sawest are the seven churches. So now we get confirmation that the symbol that we saw and we got an idea that, oh, that's probably what it represents. We're now getting that. Now the word angel here uh, in the Greek angelos is coming from the term of a messenger. And so we, we don't need to think necessarily with wings, okay. um, but this is a messenger. And Joseph Smith, in his tr- inspired translation of the book of Revelation, changes most of the angels to servants. And so we could also read that, that the seven stars, which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven candlesticks, the seven stars, are the servants of the seven churches. Okay. And so we're talking about the leaders and those who okay. are, are guiding the churches.
2: That's really cool. And then we also learned that the seven stars, which represents these seven uh, leaders of the church, that they are in his right hand. In verse 16, and he had in his right hand seven stars. What a beautiful image that the right hand, the covenant hand, he, he is upholding his leaders. I think today we need to remember that the Lord is not only amongst and in his church, But he he also upholds his leaders, our prophets, our apostles, those that he has called and chosen, and that they have his authority. So that when we think about, like Doctrine and Covenants section 21, that you shall receive his words as if from mine own mouth. And that as we do so, we are promised the blessing that the gates of hell shall not prevail against us. What a beautiful promise. And what a, an important thing to remember, especially in these days, that we can look to the leaders of our church, his prophet, and those who hold that authority mm-hmm. of him
3: to lead us in the right way and that they are his representatives. And Ben, this question that we're asking about symbols is not new. One thing that I love about the restored gospel of Jesus Christ is we actually have examples of prophets asking the same question. The prophet Joseph Smith, as he was working on his inspired translation of the Bible, when he got to these chapters, he scratched his head and said, I don't know what's going on. (laughs) And so for all of us who may feel a little overwhelmed, or maybe we already have read through these (laughs) chapters and are are watching saying, oh, I hope I can get some answers. Know that you're like Joseph Smith, the prophet, you have questions. And so uh, if we can look at section 77 of the Doctrine and Covenants, there's a number of other symbols that we can tie back Revelation chapters 1 through 5 that Joseph Smith is seeking. So as he's going through and he's looking at these scriptures, he goes, okay, I've got to ask some questions. (laughs) So he starts, so section 77 verse 1, question, what is the sea of glass spoken of by John 4th chapter and 6th verse of the Revelation? If we go back to Revelation chapter 4 verse 6, and before the throne, there was a sea of glass like unto crystal. And in the midst of the throne and around about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. It's kind of an image that you're probably not wanting to see. Uh, <laughs> having eyes everywhere. You don't want to come across this beast. Yeah. And so, yeah. so Joseph Smith is reading this verse. Uh, and we can see even in the date in section 77, this is March of 1832. He goes, I don't know what this means. Yeah. And the Lord then answers, it is the earth in its sanctified, immortal, and eternal state. Uh, Then Joseph goes, okay, that's great. I need another one. Verse two, what are we to understand by the four beasts spoken of in the same verse? Okay, now we're getting into some of the (laughs) the, 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 the more intense stuff. So those beasts who are standing around the throne, the Lord's answer, they are figurative expressions. I love, I I just want to stop there. They are figurative expressions. Many of us may have read the book of Revelation and thought, oh man, this is literal. Yeah. Uh, when I get to the throne of God, there's going to be this beast with eyes everywhere and w- that's going to be a little weird. <laughs> no, no. The Lord says to Joseph Smith, these are figurative expressions. Well, figurative of what? Used by the revelator John in describing heaven the paradise of God, the happiness of man and of beasts and of creeping things and of the fowls of the air, that which is spiritual being in the likeness of that which is temporal and that which is temporal in the likeness of that which is spiritual, the spirit of man in the likeness of his person and also the spirit of the beast and every other creature which God hath created. Uh, And I can't help but read that verse and think that when I get to heaven, maybe that means that my cat that I grew up with that I loved is sitting there waiting because (laughs) part of that paradise is happiness of man and of beasts. The Lord cares for all of his creations yeah. and there is a plan presented for them and
2: what a, what a beautiful truth that he loves all of these creatures that he has created and, and hopefully we'll remember that they have a place in this plan and that we should remember that.
3: <laughs> I sure yeah. hope so. Yeah. And treat them with respect, right? That's <laughs> right. <laughs> so we take this concept that seems really abstract and I'm trying to get a, a grip on it and the Lord's like, no, let me just break it down. This is a figurative expression of all the things that I've created that will be there at the throne. Joseph continues. If we look at verse three in section 77, are the four beasts limited to individual beasts or do they represent classes or orders? So are these four just specific Uh, things or are they more general? The Lord's answer, they are limited to four individual beasts which were shown to John to represent the glory of the classes of beings in their destined order or sphere of creation in the enjoyment of their eternal felicity. So this is each aspect of God's creation meeting the full measure of its creation and finding joy therein.
0: I wonder as Joseph is asking these questions, how much time is being spent on each one? You know, is that, you know, he'll, he'll get his answer and all of a sudden it's okay, I'm gonna think about this one for a second. Because <laughs> you know even it, we, we do the same things, you know, when we, when we are trying to receive revelation and we're, we're studying, there's, I wonder what the pause is like between there. You know, what is he, what, what sort of notes is he taking before he's ready? Okay, I'm ready for the next question. Uh, I'm ready to ask the next question, you know, uh, as we're as we trying to interpret so much, it's a process. It you is. Know? And it does, it takes a lot of time to figure these things out. And
3: the date here, right? It's just about March. So we're not given a specific March 13th, 1832. Right. So it's about, it's in this span. And I really like that of being expansive. Maybe
2: it was over time, right? It reminded me of what you just said, something that Elder Scott said one time he was in a class, a gospel doctrine class, and suddenly something popped into his mind and he knew it was revelation from God and he wrote it down. And then he asked another question, and was like, what else can I learn from this? And he wrote that down. And then he said he started to get into this revelatory outpouring that he felt like he needed to leave the room and he went and found a different one. And he just kept asking, what else do you want me to know? What else do you want Mm -hmm. me to know? And I think it's beautiful to see that that same process of revelation is demonstrated Mm -hmm. here, that as we ask questions, he may give us a little bit of an answer, but he expects us to be able to follow that up and continue our learning, continue our questioning, continue our desire to seek answers at his hand. He isn't like you said, just just gonna flood all the information out there all in a nice list. He allows even Joseph Smith to learn line upon line. He'll give him a little and there a little grace by grace, but based on our desires to learn, the effort that we put into it, as President Nelson said, "The, uh, the Lord loves effort. And I think that's especially true in the process of revelation and understanding,
0: whether it be understanding the book of revelation mm-hmm. or just receiving answers in our own personal lives. And it, it ties into what we've been talking about earlier in the episode of just that personal connection, that revelation is a very personal thing that we can all receive to help us learn, grow, overcome, because it, is, it can be so unique to us. And, and I love that you say that, Ben, that
3: it's unique to us, but it also comes with a warning. Mm-hmm. That revelation that we receive personally is not binding upon our brothers and sisters. And so, Explain that a little bit. Well, uh, one of the things that we sometimes get caught up in is if I receive a revelation, it's the truth okay. for everybody. Yeah. Mm. But here, this idea of that as we read these texts and as we find out these symbols, sometimes for ourselves, we might get a very personal revelation mm-hmm. that this is what this means. But it would be inappropriate for me to approach you, Dallin, and say, I just received this revelation. This is what it means. You can't think anything different. Yeah. Or to go out and in essence say, because I had this experience, it's now binding upon the whole church or anybody who I come in contact with. That is only possible by those who are in leadership positions that the Lord has put prophets, seers, and revelators. And that's another lesson we learned from section 77. It would be inappropriate for me to take these symbols and then try and say, no, this isn't what it means.
0: Right. Because
3: this came from a prophet of God that's a general revelation. Now, could I get other insights? Yeah but those are not binding. Okay. And we sometimes confuse that. Oh, I received a revelation, therefore this is the outcome. But we, we have to make sure we're staying within our jurisdiction. What can I receive revelation for? And be appropriate in the way that we present that.
1: Yeah.
0: That's a great caution. In order to obtain, in order to overcome, you really have to be diligent. The time in which John is writing, he's seen a lot. He has seen that this idea of you've got to really be all in because things are going to get really, really difficult. As we talk about the cities and the description, there's this beautiful image that we have of one of those cities that kind of, it teaches us about the decisions that we make. If we're going to stay on this path, if we're going to be able to stand against a lot of these evils that are coming, we have to be firm and we have to make a choice. Can you teach us a little bit about not only the personalization of this revelation to this specific city, but how it so clearly relates to us and the choices that we made. Yeah, absolutely.
3: And and, and the city that you're referring to is uh, Laodicea. Uh, which is a city that's referenced as one of the last of these seven cities. Uh, So in Revelation chapter three, uh, starting in verse 14, and unto the angel, again, the Joseph Smith translation changes this to servant of the church of Laodicea, write, these things saith the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creations of God. And in verse 15, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. And you just go, that's an interesting way to put things. (laughs) Um, I don't think anybody's ever come up to me before and said, I wish you were cold or hot. Um, But when we know the historical context, it's helpful. Laodicea was a city that actually tried to access water that was cold and hot from springs nearby. And so they had a water system that was to bring that water in. But what happened was, is when the water got back, It wasn't hot or cold. It was (laughs) lukewarm because it had passed through a process and was no longer receiving what was keeping the water cold from its source or or warm for its source. And so then in, in verse 16, so then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Uh, and so, again, John is drawing upon the local situation and things that were known by the people and saying, because of your situation, this is the message from the Lord. And so from a historical context, it's, it's really beautiful how the Lord sets that up. But uh, Dallin, I think there's some great spiritual applications here.
2: Absolutely. I love this command to not be lukewarm. We need to either be hot or cold. We need to be useful. I feel very strongly we cannot... We have to be very careful of spiritual apathy, especially today. We see a lot of people who may decide that they don't want to put forth the effort or work to know things, to hear him. You need to work on your spiritual revelation to keep that spirit with you at all times. We need to be in that position so Mm -hmm. that the Lord is able to work with us. You know, I shared that experience with my son. What if that wonderful woman was not listening to the spirit yeah. that day.
0: What if she was lukewarm? What if she day? was
2: lukewarm, just totally zoned out, invested in herself, and and wasn't open to receiving that kind of revelation. But I think when we are open to the spirit, when we are striving to keep the spirit in our lives, when we are putting forth the spiritual effort and work necessary, the Lord can use us. He can use us to bless lives. He can use us to be able to make a difference in other people's lives because of the promptings that he can give to us. He can strengthen our testimony as we put forth that effort to strive to get to know him. In my career, I remember this wonderful counsel that I received from a dear friend and mentor. And he just said, Dallin, I want you to be able to preach a sermon as well as you can sing a song. And it was fascinating to me because I thought, yeah, I spend an awful lot of time on my on my profession, on mm-hmm. my work, on my, on my singing, on my acting. I really wanna become the best at it. I spend hours and hours because I'm passionate about it. And for him to say, I want you to preach a sermon as well as you can sing a song meant to me, I need to spend just as much time and as much effort devoted to developing my spiritual talents mm-hmm. and my relationship with my savior as I do with these other things. If I don't, The Lord won't be able to use me. It was interesting. He also said, you know, right now you're at a certain place in your life spiritually, and that's okay for right now. Later on, it will not be. We have to continually be that 1% improvement each time. And the only way we can do that is if we strive to be hot or
3: cold, useful to the Lord, so that we can be an instrument in his hands. And Dallin, as you were saying that, I couldn't help but think of the idea that if we stop that progression, if we just say, oh, I'm good enough, oh, I served a mission that filled up my, right. my water enough that I'm gonna be warm for the rest of my life or, oh, I got married in the temple or, oh, I'm going to young men's and young women's. It can't just be a one-time thing. Right. It, it has a short shelf life. And I'm, I'm sure the same would be said for your profession. If you just decided, oh, you know what? I'm not going to sing for a year, you know, but I'm good enough. I've already made it. Yeah. How that doesn't last. And, and, and I think that's another lesson we get here is you can't depend on something else yeah. or something you've already done. You have to continue, I love that, the incremental improvement every day. And that repetitive term, him that overcometh. And maybe that's part of the thing to overcome, that spiritual apathy. I love, of that, love that phrase. And, and coming back to Revelation 2, 7, he that hath an ear, let him hear what mm. the Spirit saith unto the churches. Now, I oftentimes have thought, wait, don't we all have ears to hear? Like, <laughs> but it's, who's going to be willing to listen? who's going to be willing to listen and this to him that overcome will i give to eat of the tree of life which is in the midst of the paradise of god and so if we will choose to overcome we get that ultimate blessing of being able to partake of the tree of life
0: we see this a lot this idea of staying hot or cold for a while you know because you you think you've reached your destination and we have a big challenge of trying to uh, encourage, invite that continuation. I've seen so many kids prepare for a mission because that's their whole life. It's been, you're gonna go on a mission, you're gonna go on a mission, you know, that's what's just drilled into them. And then the mission happens and it's it. And then they go lukewarm because that's been their, their goal their whole life. Uh, or even I'm going to get married in the temple. Okay, great. You got married in a temple congratulations. You you know, like, okay, you've accomplished this task. You know, you've done something. But if you don't continue to work, you're going to turn lukewarm. The same thing happens with our testimonies. Just because you receive a testimony once, it doesn't mean that's going to stay there. You know, we have it's that continuous journey effort that we have to make to not be lukewarm, to keep that fire, to be useful for the Lord in our lives. Because ultimately, we're trying to get to where he wants us to be, you know, and not some earthly goal that we've set for ourselves.
3: Yeah, this idea, Ben, it's not just in in our relationship with God, but relationships with others. Mm-hmm. As you were speaking, you know, oh, you got to the temple, you got sealed, great. Uh, we don't really have a playbook after that. <laughs> when we think about the checklist that sometimes happens in the church is, oh, I was sealed in the temple. I've made it. Great, Uh, yeah, life is over. (laughs) I married my wife at 21, and I remember walking out of the temple and I had an existential crisis because I said, now what? Hmm. I I, I did everything I was told to do, now what? And I'm very grateful to a sealer who looked me in the eye and said, Josh, the rest of your life, you now need to convince this woman to be with you forever. Just because you've done the ordinance Mm -hmm. doesn't mean that you're guaranteed. You haven't overcome yet. You now have to prove to God that you're going to keep your covenants. And so we, we often talk about the next ordinance. When we minister to people or when we're trying to the covenant path, we always ask the question, what's the next ordinance? We go baptism, we go priesthood, we go temple. But after sealing, what's the next ordinance? And I love the idea that the next ordinance is the sacrament the next Sunday. Hmm. And we go to the next and we repent and we become better. And we're always saying, what's the next ordinance? Be at church on Sunday, take the sacrament, repent, become better, and show the Lord that you will overcome.
2: President Nelson says, our heavenly father wants to speak to you. There's so much he wants to tell Mm -hmm. you, but he can only do that and will only do that as we approach him and as we are ready for it. And so as we strive to be hot and cold, if we strive to be useful and are really engaged spiritually, we will not only be able to develop that deeper relationship mm-hmm. with our Heavenly Father, but our knowledge, our testimony will grow. And it's the only way we're gonna be able to survive spiritually in these days.
0: Dallin, Josh, thank you so much for being here with us today. It's been such a wonderful experience to, to get to know you and to, to hear of your experiences and have your testimonies. And I truly hope that during this Christmas season, that the Lord will reveal himself to you and to your families. Thank you so much. Thank you, Ben. And for those joining us at home, thanks for being here with us for this discussion from Revelation chapters one through five. I encourage you to record and act upon any impressions you've received. For additional study and teaching resources, visit byutv.org slash come follow up. And join us next week as we dive into the last days and the second coming, studying Revelation six through 14. Thanks for watching.